All right, I believe we're recording and we are going to finish Acts 13 uh, and try to get through 14 this evening. Um, let's go ahead and begin with prayer and then we'll get into the text. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Christ our God, be with us. Open our minds and our hearts to your holy word that we may be able to discern your will as you have shown it to your holy apostles and early disciples as they spread your word throughout the known world. Uh, may you uh, encourage us, may you shine your face upon us and enlighten us with your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I believe we stopped uh, verse 44 because we stopped, uh, we finished the homily of Paul and then noted um, that there are many, as it says in verse 43, many in the synagogue as it broke up, there's many people who wanted to hear Paul and Barnabas more. Um, so, and urged them to continue in the grace of God. That's the last thing we discovered, discussed, yes. I think, was the meaning of that yes. phrase. Yeah. There's a few more pretty significant phrases in this, this next bit that we're going to talk about that we'll jump, I'm sure we'll jump out. So who would like to start verse 44? I can. Um, how Go ahead far do you want the chapter? Sure. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted what was spoken by Paul and reviled him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you. <laughs> Since you thrust it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they come the next Sabbath, because that is the day that everyone gets together, uh, as we've even seen in the Gospels and we discussed last time, or at some point during the book of Acts, about uh, as soon as they start traveling, uh, that they go to these synagogues and then they get an opportunity to speak and share what they are convicted of. Um, they don't get quite a very good reception here. It seems like the first time they were allowed to speak, and now uh, the Jews, as just the way the text says it, um, are on to them and are ready. Um, what do you all think, make of uh, the note of jealousy? They were filled with jealousy. I'd like, um, I'd like to know what the uh, Greek is. You would like to know what the Greek is? Yeah. I'm sorry, Erica. I just. Um, I mean, 
Multitudes was mentioned before. So uh, like I'm assuming that is the reason for the jealousy. Yeah, that's what I would imagine too. I, it, it's fascinating. Again, we, I've brought this up a few times, how the book of Acts definitely models uh, the apostolic uh, church, the way in which it was living out uh, its life in Christ was very much um, echoing the life of our Lord. So it seems to be wherever the apostles go, they get the same kind of reception. Some people receive them, receive the word gladly and others, um, especially those who are usually in control or those who, especially in this situation, those who would have been the kind of the keepers of the, I'll say scripture and the, I'll say the narrative of what uh, things are. Now Paul and Barnabas are shaking things up uh, and they're not happy about it. This, we've seen already this happens in Jerusalem. Uh, they got, have gotten cold receptions in different places and they'll continue throughout the book of Acts to uh, shake things up. Um, I'm looking, David, for what the Greek is there. If we find it, I won't, I won't be able to help very much. I'll just say that. Um, oh. It's uh, Zilau, or uh, Zeal. For jealousy? Uh, Mm-hmm. It's what? Zeal, Z-E-A-L. Is that what it is in a different translation? Um, according, like I downloaded the the interlinear uh, on Whoa. on my phone because Ooh. yeah. So what I see, like the King James actually translates it as envy. So. So, um, I, I, this is my problem. Go ahead. You have a problem. Yeah. Uh, as I've grown older, I've grown more defensive about my Sadducees and Pharisees. Oh, really? Yeah. And 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 uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I really have. I really have, and I've really, the more I've studied, the more convinced I have become that uh, they were each group in its way, was striving hard to preserve the law, follow the commandments, and correct what it is, whatever it was that Israel had done wrong that led to the exile. Uh, uh, and, and, and because of that, I'm always inclined to think that they, when they reject the teachings of the Christians, I, I, the word jealousy makes me uncomfortable because that suggests that they were just... Uh, uh, you know, well, you know, it hurt our feelings that everybody likes you guys better than us. It, it, and I have a hard time be believing that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees anymore. I think they were much more protective. So that's that's why I'm wondering about what the original Greek was for, for jealousy and, and uh, uh, zeal, 
was the other one and uh what did you say father envy yeah uh, that's what the king james translates it as so does dewey rames but uh i also have the vulgate uh of course um of course you uh, do uh, and uh, zelo is the Latin for it. So I think that's also zeal. Yeah. I th so when I'm looking in the strong Greek, the uh, it doesn't, it can have connotations of jealousy, but it can also just mean like be zealously contradicting them. See, and that's, that would make more sense to me that the Jews became zealous in the defense of the faith. Right. Against these heretics. Right. That makes more sense to me than that they were, that they were uh, oh, gee whiz, nobody's paying attention to us. I, I, I have a hard time with that one. Yeah. I, I can certainly accept the uh, zealous in defense of the faith against the heretics. Right. I'm looking here. Yeah, this seems to, I'm looking at a, a concordance Greek. The stirrings of emotion or outbursts, or kind of manifestations, envious, contentious, rivalry, or jealousy. So it has it under that broader. So I think you, yeah. So what, so what in, ver, in verse 46, of course, the Jews are zealously contending and reviling them, contradicting them. They're having a serious argument. And Paul and Barnabas stand up and they speak out boldly. And what, what do you all think of what they say here in verse 46? That is from a psalm, is it not? In verse 47, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure about 46. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I was skipping it. Woo. Huh. So I think this is the bridge story to really underline. We've already had the Peter and him coming to waking up to the mission to the Gentiles. This uh, sets the bridge for uh, Paul and Barnabas really setting their face towards the Gentiles specifically because they're so being so specifically rejected. And they have very strong words to say about this. Yeah, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken first to you. Because well, that, that's God. what God always did. Yeah. Right? That's what God has always done. I think that's why Paul still in Romans will talk about Israel the way that he does. Yeah. Because Israel was the chosen was they still are in the sense that they that covenant was made with them yeah. so that word yeah. they have the scriptures yeah yeah so this was sent this was sent to you so we have to give it to you yeah but if you reject it we had no choice but to return to the jet well it doesn't not we don't have any choice but we're going to turn to the gentiles it's not yep. going to kill we're not going to stop preaching the word yep yeah and they and they base it in the same way that Paul just earlier had contended for who Jesus Christ is. They base this movement from first to the household of God that is, you know, the covenant with Israel. Now they're looking out to the Gentiles and they cite 
Isaiah 49 <laughs> is the text that they're they're citing there. Oh, that's Isaiah. Yes, I believe so. I, I remember I looked earlier today. Okay. It also has the um, um, oh my goodness, I am blanking out uh, that the Pickles. Hmm? Pickles. N no. Oh. <laughs> I'm, uh, hold on a second. Let Pickles me Google. Pickles are really great on fast days. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, they are. that's what I do to get enough salt, actually, though. I, like, eat a lot of pickles. Uh, I'm probably trying to mm, throw you off track so then you can come back to it somehow. Yeah. It helps me. Are you trying to think of another book? Nuke Dementis. Uh, Lord, now let us thou, thy servant, depart in peace. Uh, but uh, no. To be a light to lighten the Gentiles. Uh, oh. Uh, oh, yeah, Simeon. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I forgot yeah, you're that. Doing but... the, you're doing the Latin title, yeah. Yes. One of my, guy, one of my guys. <laughs> the light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. So we have it's, uh, the Gentiles heard this and they're glad and glorified the word of God. And in verse 48, it says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now we have, we have two phrases in the past two uh, verses that it was necessary and as many as were ordained to eternal life. And we've encountered this kind of talk yeah. in the book of Acts before. Does anyone remember where in the book of Acts we've encountered this kind of language before? That's kind of a not fair question, but. <laughs> it uh, has to do with like the laying on of hands, right? No, possibly the one, the spot I'm thinking of is in Acts 2, where the sermon is very much, that God made it this way, like foreordained that this is the way that it should happen. Um, so you could totally see somebody, 46 I think is a little bit less of a case, but 48, it seems if you come to the text and you already have some predilection to uh, what 16th century French thinker um, that you're going to think uh, that ordain that those many as were ordained to eternal life believed has a very specific meaning attached to it. The chosen, the chosen, and this is kind of an example, right? God speaks, but He doesn't enlighten these Jews in verse forty-five, but He does enlighten these others who then uh, are able to be glad and glorify God because they were part of the ordained. Now. I don't really believe that's what the text is saying, but you can see how that text can be twisted that way. Now, so let me, let me say it like this. I do believe there's preordered, there's for preordination for ordaining of things, but that doesn't work itself out in that kind of uh, the schematic that is typically used where God is the one who has a preset number and he's got to like flick the light switch on for these. And then, you know, that's it. They were, then that means that that's what or ordination to eternal life believe. And for those who believe, 
I think it's actually the, the, those who believe are ordained to eternal life. Those who responded were part of the church. And so being a part of the church is how you are preordained to eternal life. Oh, David. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what, huh? <laughs> I'm sorry. Guess who wants to know what the Greek is? Uh, your cat. Yeah, my cat. My cat wants to know what the Greek is. What is preordained? Let's see here. Well, it, it doesn't say preordained. It just says ordained. Correct. You know, but... Tetagmenoi, uh, or ordered, uh, according to the Google Translate. Ordered? Uh, or, a, or appointed uh, is also kind of what the appointed. interlinear ordered. I think I uh, hold on a second. I Chrysostom uh, uh, uses ordained into eternal life that is set apart for God. Yeah, I see appointed. Tetagimenoi. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, I think what you have here is um, a playoff of 46. It was necessary that the word of God would be spoken and would be rejected. It was also necessary that those who believed would be ordained to eternal life in verse 48. It's very much in line with the prophetic uh, literature that you have that God speaks and there are those who reject, and then there's the remnant that are faithful and keep what God has said. I wonder if it in any way relates to uh, prepared. Yeah, I think so. Uh, to arrange, it, it, to draw up an order or arrange. Yeah, arranged. To put in order, set in place. It was used commonly in military language for like appointing or commissioning a specific status. Which is, I think, one of the best ways to deal with preordination or that kind of thinking is that God did ordain that the church should be the light on the hill, right? God did ordain... And set forth that this, so there's a kind of commissioning. A lot of it, it, what, it what happens is it gets flipped over and then it gets uh, shoved through kind of uh, salvation issues, soteriological issues with individuals and whether or not they're saved. Um, and a whole lot of other considerations and then coming back to the text <laughs> uh, that are far from the text that... Um, I think start to warp what the text is trying to get at. So more than more than yeah. I mean, I I see one of the things I'm thinking. I I'm and I'm sorry if I'm spending too much time on it. No, it's fine. I went here. (laughs) One of the one of the things I'm thinking is that you were ordained. Yes. But that doesn't mean that that you were 
predestined to become a priest or that it was inescapable that you would become a priest? So here, so now we're going to start getting into temporal and eternal uh, and how to read those kind of things. Oh, okay. Okay. Am I? So, so the thing that I would, I would say is the basic kind of underlining of God knowing that something is going to happen and ordaining it to happen does not mean that he, for, that, that he's like the most powerful individual who forces everything in the world to happen in a certain way. Yeah. But him ordaining things and setting them the way they are supposed to go um, does not mean that he's, uh, how should I say this? Moving everything around on a chessboard as if there's no freedom. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I, see, I, I, we're, certainly, I certainly don't believe that. But I, I also, and I also believe, well, the sower. Uh, yes. You know, the parable of the sower. Some people are ready to receive. Yep. And so I kind of look at it in, in that way. People who are re ready to receive the word believed the word. Yep. Those people who weren't ready to receive the word did not accept the word or believe the word or go on with the sower, all the different things that happen in the sower. You know? So that's the sense in which I read it. I, right. And I, the part that I would push against is not what you, but where that could go is the reason why this, the soil does not receive it is not because God hardened their, each individual person's heart. No. Then we're gonna, then we're going to end up in Romans and talking about Pharaoh and all of that, which is a, a favorite text for a certain reform type for this. Yeah. But that is where I'm pointing at and saying, that is not what is foreordained by God. Right. Right. Those who believe and heard, accepted the word of the apostles here were ordained to eternal life. Yeah. Because they're getting on the boat or whatever metaphor you want to use. Yeah. So, any other uh, comments or questions about? The rest of this chapter just um verse 51 uh like kind of yeah. the echo echoes of uh what is it matthew i think uh yes telling the the disciples yeah they don't receive you then shake the dust off your feet and go to where they will kind of uh that's a really terrible paraphrase but that's basically what it means or what it says yeah i know yeah yeah what, what do you think it means to shake off the dust off, off the feet? What happens with hospitality in that time? Like, I know if you're walking in the desert with sandals, your feet are going to be pretty dusty and probably caked. Uh, and one of the important things when someone visited was to provide water so you could wash your feet with. So I think this is one of those, this is all, I think it's also just kind of like, I'm done with you. <laughs> I'm going to clean my own feet. Yeah. And moving on. <laughs> You're inhospitable. So here we go. Yeah. Whether or not that physically happened or not, my guess is it's kind of a saying. So I, I also want to, the that last verse, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. 
a lot of these chapters end with this um, or these, these stories where there's a lot of turmoil there's uh, and kind of a division occurs those who reject those who want them to get out uh and then you have those who hear and it seems at the end of almost every one of these stories and i think this is telling for us uh that the disciples were filled with joy and with the holy spirit um no matter what the situation is especially when things seem to be I don't know. This would be this would be a, a hard situation because now you've kind of broken some barriers. You've kind of put things out there, and now there's kind of being a reshuffling. You know, like there's a status quo. The status quo is done, and we have a re a, a resorting of things. Uh, um, and even in the midst of that kind of turmoil, there is still joy and um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, even though even with that kind of turmoil going on. That's something to learn from the early church. So we should go to Acts 14. Just racing through, aren't we? <laughs> yes, I don't know if you all saw the live feed, but I said maybe we'll end Acts sometime. <laughs> Next year. Next year in Jerusalem, right? Yes. Oh. I'm used to this with Father DeYoung. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't feel like we can actually deal with the text um, unless we go slow and talk about the things that come up. That's what we're, you know. Well, I think you're right. I think it. I think you know. It's been my experience. I mean, I've read this a few times. Yeah. And it's very easy to sit down and read the text, but it's a different. It's it's a different thing, and I think it's much more important when we sit down together and read it together, uh, you know, especially with a priest. I don't know. I don't know if I've got anything special, but. Yeah, you do. You're a priest. <laughs> well, Preordained to yeah. priesthood. And then, and then we've got Erica, who's our encyclopedia. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm just here to make things more difficult. Slow it down. So, Okay. Now you can read for us, David. You want to oh. read? Let's go ahead and just do the first seven verses, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and so spoke that a great company believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to molest them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. Derbe? I think I would say Derbe, but I don't know. Derbe, Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and the surrounding country, and there they preached the gospel. Ooh. Things didn't go so well. No. Paul and Barnabas like to stir things up. I, I like that the text constantly underlines for us that they speak with boldness. 
where they're going. They're not afraid. Yeah. And, uh, the conviction that it takes, I don't know about you guys, David, I'm sure you've had many as being now a retired lawyer or semi-retired lawyer or lawyer with one thing hanging out there. Um, Trying to be a retired lawyer. <laughs> uh, there is something about, I mean, th- it's not like they had message boards or Facebook arguments going on here. <laughs> they were, you know, they were probably getting yelled at to their face. There oh. probably could have been some spit oh. involved here. And to underline constantly, I think that they contended and they went, uh, and I, I'm sure there's also, this wasn't just kind of, you know, slogany stuff. This was exegetical questions. They, they would have known what they were getting themselves into and how high pitched, um, I mean, in Jewish literature at this time, you would have had at least the Maccabean literature would have been around. So martyr literature is, you know, already there for Jews. So to contend, to defend your faith, I mean, think about the book of Daniel, that they needed to, when they're in a foreign land, they need to defend the, the their practices. Um, they're, they're, there's something about Paul and Barnabas and their boldness that I think, I know I need to take note of being able to be courageous in situations that you might just get yelled down about. It's, you know, not just because I can't share something on Facebook or something, but actual like in your face yelling. Uh, I bet some of the arguments were very interesting, actually. I'm sure some of them were as well. I bet, you know, with the more learned yeah. of the Jews, you yeah. know, and, and uh, I, I mean, I, I can't, don't know if I could say it. You said it, it was a nice word. Exegetic, exe, exegetical. Exegetical. Uh, I don't do it anymore, but there was a time he used to love to engage in exegetical debates. They could be fun. They can be fun. You know. Uh, they can also end in stoning, it appears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's when you uh, leave the board or the Facebook. <laughs> and they continue. Exegetical yes. debates continue. That's why there are tens of thousands of Protestant churches. Yep. That's basically a lot of my formation growing up was about exegetical debating. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I, I find fascinating because Orthodox, we don't really engage that often in that kind of exegetical debate in the way, not the way I grew up. Um, no. So most of that I think is positive. I would note the need for knowing the text and being aware of scripture is part of the reason why you would have to have those debates, because if you're actually engaging people and trying to uh, evangelize people or convince them of the apostolic teachings on the church, you need to know the text. Although I find, and I don't know about you two, that very often I find with Protestants now, a lot of Protestants, they don't really know scripture that well compared to what I remember growing up and folks. Oh yes. Yes. Around. And yes. like the Bible drills and all of the, yeah. 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 I, I am encountering more and more Protestant where I, I don't know. I cannot assume that they know basic teachings on things. 
Um, and I've talked with some when they've come from certain Protestant backgrounds, it's, it's like, okay, they know Jesus is God. What exactly that means, you know, that might be murky. But when you get into things like uh, ethical or, you know, teachings on those kind of grounds, you don't know if any of that stuff has been talked about because a lot of these big churches, they don't, they don't talk about, they, they don't touch those things. Right. It doesn't really go well on a Sunday morning to delve into those things <laughs> if you're trying to fill a lot of seeds. And of course, the great thing we have is, as Orthodox, that's one of the reasons I love Orthodoxy so much, is, is we have the first 500 years. Actually, we have the first 2,000 years. Right. But especially the first 500 years. And often, when I hear about debates between different Protestant sects, yep. it's not unusual for me to think, oh, that was settled at, you know, stuff is being rehashed. That's all. That's that was that's that was done. Yep. That was done. If you just get to know the councils, so many of the debates people want to engage you with is like that was resolved at a council. Yeah. You know? When I was growing up, that was very evident in certain circles, in regard because. So I'll, I'll give you an example. There was debate about um, sin and being uh, cleansed of those sins. Uh-huh. What? What? How? when are you cleaned or cleansed is it and what about sins i mean if you're spiritually aware you realize you've got your sins right you're like this and that and that and that and that but if you're have looked inside enough you realize that yeah you have those things but then there's like the <laughs> it's like an iceberg there's a lot of other stuff going on there Mm-hmm. Uh, so this question is like how can you be saved or like be cleansed of those sins if you don't like you know ask god for forgiveness of those things so it's kind of like where exactly are those lines and so of course when you start having that debate then you start backing up and guess what then you start having debates about how exactly is jesus god did he become like was he what oh yeah Right. Because then it gets into like, what is a human being? So then you have to ask questions about who Jesus is. And so, you know, of course, 20 something years later, I look back on some of those things I encountered in my teens. And it's like, guys, if only, if only. Arianism is alive and well. Very much so. And so is adoptionism. Yeah. Or some kind of like. Jesus becomes God, Jesus, especially like at the baptism, that's pretty popular to think yeah. that some like, or that Jesus, this is some like Jesus was not aware of his divinity. Yeah. And I've yeah. heard that kind of uh, kicked around because then you also have this complexity of what does it mean for him to take on the fullness of humanity and all this stuff. So, but mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the weeds on that specifically because I think that's you can have some. Neither, neither do I. Neither do I. But we were just talking about uh, we were just talking about differences in biblical interpretation. The only reason I got into that was was because the great thing about being Orthodox is we've got so much interpretation has already been done and has been decided by councils, and that's not even to say well if a council said it you must believe it. No. 
but that you have got <laughs> and all, it seems sometimes like an infinite amount of material that you can read about the dispute that was done by people much brighter than us right <laughs> you know? And but much more deeply spiritual than we are. Word, don't need to look the Greek word up on Google. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we've got all these huge resources. So it's just. I, I also think we have all these huge resources, but I also think the church has boiled down what the most essential and not in the sense of like oversimplifying, but it has boiled down the essentials and our worship and the basic guidance and the services and the reading of scripture within that context, it always keeps us and our eyes in the right direction because yeah. you can so quickly just, and I, and I remember encountering, you know, folks who want to, you know, and they've got verse after verse after verse to, you know, the Trinity is not in the new Testament. Okay. Yes. The, the word Trinity is not in the new Testament. Uh, that does not mean that, the Holy Trinity is not within scripture. Um, but it also, what I, what I mean in drawing that out is you can have disagreements about the interpretation of scripture. It doesn't mean that you need to go down the road and start your own other church because you've decided that Paul didn't write Ephesians or something. I would think I would have, we would have to have some debates about that, et cetera. But yeah. so, um, yeah. Thank God for orthodoxy. <laughs> so let's let's go back, zoom back to uh, Lystra. Uh, David, you had just read the first seven verses, right? Could you read 8 through 18? I thought I read the whole thing. I moved it down. Oh, oh, oh you moved it. You I'm are sneaking. doing that. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was a cripple from birth who had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and walked. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, because he was chief speaker, they called Hermes. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the people. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, rushed out among the multitude, crying, Men, why are you doing this? We are also men of like nature with you. And bring you good news that you should turn these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the generations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good and gave you from heaven rains and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. With these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So this is fascinating. Yeah. Paul and Barnabas or Zeus and Hermes. I got to say, the first thing that struck me in reading this was uh, the man uh, with his feet were crippled from birth. Verse uh -huh. 
Uh-huh. He, he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said, aloud, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. He was ordained to be made well, if you will. <laughs> Would you agree with me? I think that's yeah, the faith. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he had the faith to be made well. Yes. It's also fascinating. I think that relates back to the discussion of ordination. That, to me, that's what this sense of ordination is: being prepared, being ready. I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's the rich soil. I think what's fascinating, also about the the verse that you uh, highlighted in verse nine, um, is that Paul is also kind of given here similar way of being able to know the hearts of men like our Lord. Mm -hmm. And now I could read it and make it kind of that Paul had a supernatural, I'll just use that word, or, you know, was spirit, uh, was given that knowledge that he would be able to be made well by the spirit. Or you kind of just read it that Paul saw in this man's faith, 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 face, faith. <laughs> he saw in his face, faith, not faith in his face. Well, I guess you could say that too, that there's something about this man, maybe the way he was lit up. And you can tell when you're talking to me about it, you know, he is, you know, nodding his head. <laughs> he is in agreement. Um, so I don't necessarily oppose those two interpretations because I think they could work together at the same time. Um and so, you know, they heal. We haven't had this uh, happen um, with Paul and Barnabas being mistaken for gods. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I've like, you know how sometimes when you're, you've read, you read something you've read over and over again and like something brand new pops out. I, yeah. I'm sure that I've read this before, but I like where they're mistaken for gods, but I'm like, this is like brand new almost too. So yeah, that's just interesting. Uh, Reading things slowly, you catch a lot of things you didn't before. Mm -hmm. We definitely don't live in this world anymore. So I also find it fascinating that (laughs) if Paul and Barnabas or Zeus and Hermes, their instinct is not to treat them like gods. It's that they go offer sacrifice in the temple. So verse 12, you know, the, the gods have come down, uh, 11, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. <clears throat> they thought Barnabas, because he wasn't as loud as Paul was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. Verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple is in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the people. They want to sacrifice. I I find that fascinating that they want to sacrifice even though the gods are with them. Their instinct is still sacrifice. Yeah. So Barnabas and Paul, you know, we're humans. This is... uh, and this is a basic teaching that we've seen throughout the book of Acts, you know, idolatry, the living God, 
Um, what do you all think of the, the, the thing that sticks out to me is verse 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. In verse 16, it says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good and gave you from heaven rains and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Right. So they're, they're, they're kind of doing a natural theology here. Natural theology has a lot of baggage attached to it. But they're basically saying, you know, the God that we want to talk to you about is not is the one who made heavens and earth. And he has witnessed to himself by the fact that he has had rain fall and has done good to them. Somehow they stop them from sacrificing. I'm sure some folks just wanted to have a party and eat some meat. <laughs> Not everyone. They Not every, well, sorry, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, <that's all> right. <laughs> it must not have been a Friday, but they—they—they they, <laughs> they, they, uh, or Wednesday, uh, but they scarcely restrained the people. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else about that scene? Well, I think it's fascinating. We had the Jewish reaction, right? It's like, absolutely no. And now we have a we actually have a pagan reaction, thinking there's Zeus and Hermes. Yeah. Should we move? Let's try and wrap up the chapter. I'll go ahead and read. I don't think I've done that in a while, but Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the people, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, <clears throat> strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atelia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Quite a road trip. I mean, Paul got stoned and then he got up and went to Derby. He just kind of like, <laughs> he didn't just knock the dust off of his shoes. Just but a flesh wound. <laughs> Woo! Paul must have been, I, you know, I talk often about how Peter, uh, strong headed, et cetera. Paul obviously was driven. He had something, he had his, uh, experience and deep conversion. And now he's ready to share the good word. And these were obviously physically tough guys. They took yeah. a lot of physical punishment yeah especially compared to us these days <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I don't think i don't think i could handle it i think some of this stuff would have killed me probably second stoning i would have been out of it 
It what, reminds what? me of what Paul says in Corinthians, right, where he talks about, and he just kind of relates. Uh, this happened. Uh, ship. Oh, I know the shipwrecks yeah. and the stoning and, and yeah. the lashings and yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so the word for us then is, as his example, it's kind of from verse 22 that we should strengthen our souls, exhort ourselves to continue in the faith because it's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now they had particular tribulations. We have our tribulations. I also think it's important that they make note here that they appointed uh, elders in every church. Yeah. And when they appointed those elders in those churches, they did it the same way when they were sent out from Antioch with prayer and fasting. Because we all know it's really important when you put in a presbyter or an elder. You need a lot of prayer and fasting about it. Because those yeah. elders definitely need some prayer. <laughs> and this also brings out, this paragraph brings out, you know, as they return, going back, uh, through the cities they've been through, it's not like the Jews won everybody back in every city. You know, there were disciples left. There were, Even there, after the, the 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 loud one, Hermes got stoned. Yeah, yeah. There are still there's there, there were a, rem, there were remnant remnants everywhere, seeds everywhere, remnants yeah, everywhere. That's a really good point, David. Of just how <laughs> to follow. Uh, this new word even after the guy gets stoned and you know that if you act like him that's probably can be your end as well but you're gonna yeah. do it. well you've seen something you know yeah you've seen something you've never seen before and uh, a man walking who is not able to walk from birth yeah well that wasn't exactly what i was thinking of but okay yes but I think it's it's tight. I mean, there's a reason why it's tight. There, yes, there's the word that is the sight of being able to understand Christ, but then also confirming that, like our Lord did in His ministry as well. Yeah. You think it's something that I physically healed somebody? Well, I'm forgiving sins here. What I was thinking of, I've had this discussion a few times with people, is because I used to be somebody. Well, I <laughs> I'd like to say. You used actually, to be somebody. <laughs> I, 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 actually, I still am somebody who, who you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I only trust my own experience. I only trust what I've, you know, have seen, felt, heard, smelled, tasted. Right. And uh, I have had a spiritual experience and well there you go you know and that's why i say it. i always start out saying well i used to be somebody and then i always had to correct myself because i'm still that same person that i was when i wasn't a believer the difference isn't that the difference is i've had an experience i, I don't know how to ex how else to explain it yeah I know you, you know, and, and I can't deny that experience any more than I can deny the experience of being hot or cold. I'm, it's just what reality is. Yep. Yeah, I think more than, you know, the healing of the man who hadn't walked from birth, uh, you know, it's there at the last verse of 
chapter 13 and the disciples were filled with the joy and the Holy spirit. I think that might be, or probably is like what is drawing people to the new word. Yes. Yeah. That's otherwise how you're going to go through the tribulations. Yeah. Right. That's why you sing in prison, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. You've seen the light. Yep. I saw the light. <laughs> yeah. You know, we joke about it all the time, but that's really what it is. That's oh, what, I, totally I, agree. I, I really, I, I really think that's really, that's 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 really, really what it is. And, uh, and uh, as I've heard, you know, it's it's very it's very hard working with. Well, it's very hard talking to people or trying to share with people who have had no spiritual experience. Right. Okay, because uh, 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 it's like, well, you know, is it Lewis who said it's like you see in color and they see in black and white? You just can't explain what color is to somebody who's only seen in black and white. Right. You know, which kind of gets back to being ordained. Right. You know, being ready to receive. I think part of the challenge I think that we have now is that a lot of the ways in which we were used to doing or explaining or boldly proclaiming, and you could even question exactly how in the past we've boldly complained. I almost said boldly complained. <laughs> boldly. I'm good at that one. <laughs> um, that there was, as you're saying, like the, the soil, and I think soil is harder is rockier than it used to be. The kind of natural yeah. soul. And that's what Lewis would talk about, like men without chests. Uh-huh. But I also think it, it, that it creates like two challenges. One is the antennae are really, really not, are tuned into very different frequencies. So it can be hard to communicate today. But at the same time, I think that because of that gap or that hole, there's a lot of desire that I've encountered as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity. It's just always a challenge of whether or not we're ready because that desire can also, in the way that Paul talks about, it can be a desire or a zeal, but it doesn't really know what to do with itself because it's young and immature or new to the faith, etc. So it's a challenge, I think, for us in the church, especially the longer being in the church of precept, this is the way things are, this, you know, that how to articulate this for folks and be able to help guide them and be present to that, to maintain the joy, (laughs) to maintain uh, in the midst of the suffering and tribulation, to be able to witness to that. It's... We still need Pauls and Barnabas. Barnabai? I don't know how to... Barnabas? Uh, Barnaby. I like doing Barnabai. I like doing that too. Plural. That doesn't make sense, but... Barnabies. Barnabies. Does anyone have any last words? We're at 8.38. We're about an hour. I'm just thinking of Lewis, who was 
talked once about I always because I I'm often thinking about Lewis when we talk about these things. Talking about in a lot of ways it must have been a lot easier with the ancient pagans because at least <laughs> at least they believed in gods. Right. And the problem now in the 21st century is you have to you haven't we we, we don't have that. So we interject we interact with people who completely reject the idea of gods, spirits, a supernatural world. Yeah, they're not rushing to us to sacrifice because they've mistaken us for gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not a. You know, it, it was it was for the ancients going back. You know, for Paul and Barnabas, it was more a matter of which god, right? As opposed to having what we have to deal with now, whether there is any such thing as a God at all. Right. Except for, Steve, a, except for Steve Jobs. <laughs> I think the new one is Elon Musk, but yeah. Elon Musk, yeah. yeah, yeah. Him too. Right, he wants to upload us all into the, the World Wide Web, right? Or like to the... Yeah. Lord have mercy. I don't think I would do well as a two-dimensional creature. <laughs> You're doing, pretty, you're doing pretty good to me. You're teaching me Isaiah. You're doing great so far. <laughs> That's the great diet program, right? And get uploaded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. I'm sure you uh, will. Well, we've had a good time and we will. Uh, go oh, you on. just reminded me of something. What's that? It just reminded me of something. I was, you know, I'm enrolled in Pellissippi, right? And right. I'm trying to re-enroll. You know what I'm going to do, Dave? I'm going to stop the recording. But please. okay. <laughs>